This is The Guardian. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten! Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. The magic of the brackets, Carabao, closed brackets, cut, Middlesbrough beat Chelsea. Hayden Hackney's goal enough to take a slender lead to the bridge in a couple of weeks. Should Chelsea dip into the transfer market to get someone in before the second leg? Meanwhile, Liverpool win again, this time over Fulham. They probably deserved it, but they were a bit lucky as well. Their stealth march to a quadruple is still on. We'll look ahead to the winter break Premier League games. Burnley, Luton, huge at the bottom. Big Sir Jim at Old Trafford for Man U's first. And Man City's title charge continues at St. James's Park. We'll do some transfers with you two Spurs over Bayern Munich. Some Watford. Jonathan Faduba's got an idea which might, brackets, might be interesting. We'll redress the fact we forgot Bobby Moore on Tuesday. Name a child, answer your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. on the panel today. Jonathan Faduba, which is useful considering you have an idea. Welcome, Jonathan. Good morning, Max. I have an idea. It may bore everyone to tears, but I have an idea. Well, look, we'll take it. It's very rare anyone offers an idea <laughs> in the WhatsApp group. Hello, Barry. Hi, Max. And hello, Simon Burnton. Welcome back from your cricketing duties. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, unlike Jonathan, I have no idea. So uh, so between us, we've got both extremes covered. <laughs> exactly. And that sort of dovetails perfectly doesn't it Chimmer says who do we want to win the league cup final plucky fulham or plucky borough let's start the riverside then on tuesday night middlesbrough beat chelsea at one nil it was barrier it was a great night of cup football at the riverside yeah it was a brilliant performance by middlesbrough who i think had 12 players out injured uh lost their striker emmanuel latte last uh, very early doors, which prompted a, a rejig from Michael Carrick. Then they lost uh, Alex Bangura, their winger, uh, which prompted another rejig from Michael Carrick. Borough were incredibly well organised against a Chelsea team, which simply couldn't break them down and were kind of restricted to pot shots. Cole Palmer missed a couple of good chances, which you'd normally expect him to dispatch with Ilan. And uh, I thought Middlesbrough were well worth their win. Um, they, they, it, it's tried to say they wanted it more. They, they, their players gave everything, and quite a few Chelsea players were incredibly poor. Now, to be fair, Chelsea did have a lot of injuries as well, but you know. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Max, but they have quite a big squad full of good players. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they have far more strength in depth than Middlesbrough. You would think they would have, but they still couldn't break Middlesbrough down. I, I think Chelsea probably will go through, but they'll need to, to up their game considerably to win the, the return leg at Stamford Bridge. Uh, the hero, Jonathan, was Hayden Hackney, who has reportedly attracted interest from Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United and Tottenham. I... I I assume you've been tracking him since he was about four years old. No, I haven't, unfortunately, Max. Sorry, sorry to disappoint you on that one. That's a great letdown. But yeah, no, he, he you know, he, he's he's a decent player. He is someone who's kind of been on the radar at youth level and done well. 
the interesting thing, obviously, Middlesbrough haven't been into a cup final uh, since 20, 2004, so this would be 20 years, that 20-year anniversary since they won it, uh, if they were to make it to the final. I think they deserved it just about, but Chelsea, it goes back to the whole striker issues, doesn't it? And the first thing that, pretty much the first thing that happened after this game finished was everybody running to X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it and sort of stating that Chelsea need to buy a striker, um, Victor Osimhen, Ivan Tony being linked and it just seems like Chelsea games are almost like a prelude to a discussion about who they will buy next similar to Arsenal in a way at the moment with with the strike issue there they had some decent efforts as Barry mentioned but not really didn't really show up and um Michael Carrick I think the best thing about this match was how how excited and happy Michael Carrick was he was he was delighted he, he couldn't stop um smiling really after it and I think that that tells you that how important it is for, for Middlesbrough being in a championship and you know the journey they've had over the last sort of 20 years since winning it so, yeah, I mean, listen, being a mid-table Premier League team like Chelsea is, is a decent decent achievement. <laughs> um, from a championship point of view, Simon, I mean, I'm aware you have been at a Cricket World Cup and uh, in the Caribbean to watch, you know, England reserve T20 side. So you may not have been following Middlesbrough in great detail while on the beaches of Grenada. Um, but were you surprised that they managed to put up such a, a, a decent performance? Well, yes and no. I was really impressed with them last season. Obviously, they had a couple of lone players who they couldn't keep. And I wasn't really expecting the kind of this level of performance. You know, they're 12th in the, in the championship, I think. They showed kind of not just technical quality, but tactical versatility. They were changing formations, uh, their fitness, their work rate. It was, you know, they did the, the championship proud, as, uh, uh, as lower league clubs often say after cup games. When they lose, yeah, it was a really convincing and impressive performance, not just from the team. Like, yeah, it's no surprise that Michael Carrick was looking chuffed at the end of the game because, uh, you know, he was up against a very famous, uh, established uh, foreign coach who's had a, a succession of high profile jobs and he outcoached him. Yeah. And actually, considering, you know, Wayne Rooney just getting the sack from Birmingham, we talk about that sort of golden generation, of which I suppose. Carrick Barry was kind of ignored, wasn't he? He's the golden generation ignored man. So maybe if he becomes the most successful manager of all this lot, that will mean something to him. I mean, he obviously had quite a good career at the same time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching him as a player. He, I mean, Steve Gibson tends to get his managerial appointments right at Middlesbrough and he obviously sees something in Carrick. They started the season quite badly and there was talk he might lose his job, but then things started to go right for him. So they're mid-table now. But, um, you know, he, he had to make some big calls in that game, and he had to make them quickly. Switching formation, uh, he moved, that involved moving Isaiah Jones further up the pitch, and Isaiah Jones was a constant menace down the right wing uh, for Middlesbrough. Gave Levi Caldwell a, a bit of a lesson and, you know, just turned him inside out. Levi Caldwell was playing left back. That's not his position. Uh, he normally, I think, he's centre-back or plays left side of a, a back three. But, yeah, he had a really torrid evening. But, um, yeah, Carrick, he just got everything. He had some big decisions to make during the game and got them all right and... You know, his players were excellent. I think the the manner in which they performed against Chelsea was in stark contrast 
to the manner in which their sort of neighbour Sunderland performed against Newcastle at the weekend. New, uh, Sunderland just looked overwhelmed by the occasion, whereas Middlesbrough really fed off the energy of their, their support. Adam says, should Chelsea strengthen during the transfer window? Uh, present tense, as it's open again, Leon, do, full stop, Chelsea, full stop, need, full stop, to, full stop, strengthen, full stop, etc., <laughs> etc., et in this transfer window. I mean, Barry said, uh, you know, that Chelsea were restricted to pot shots. I mean, you mentioned Cole Palmer, I guess, Baz, but they did have some really good chances. And they they have, Jonathan, created the second most, the second highest number of big chances in the Premier League. Uh, I don't have the exact definition of what big is. You know, is it big if it's Nicholas Jackson's chance, for example, behind <laughs> Liverpool? And I suppose it's an impossible question. To, if you knew why they weren't scoring, then Pochettino might hire you, but... Is it just a case of needing a striker or is it just sometimes this happens, right? It's happening with Arsenal at the moment. It's happening for a bit longer with Chelsea. I think they do maybe need a striker, which is it's strange to say when they've spent you know so much money, it's on record how much they've spent on transfers over the last, sort of, you know, since Clear Lake Capital. When, when you look at it, I mean, Amanda Breuer obviously had a terrible injury. He's just coming back. I do like him. I think he is a good, good player. He's got a good, good header, um, you know, last week uh, in the cup and looks like someone who could get goals, but maybe it's just the fact that he's still maybe slightly rusty. He's, you know, still a young talent. You know, against Middlesbrough, they played Cole Palmer kind of as a, as a striker, more or less. So, you know, or false nine, however you want to put it. But no real kind of out and out, out, out and out forward in that game, partly obviously due to the, their situation, but also partly because they, they're they lacking in they're lacking in someone who can put the ball in the back of the net. Jackson's had his struggles. And although it sounds like, a, a, you know, an obvious and easy conclusion, I do think they probably do need to dip into the market and, and find a striker. What kind of striker would suit them? I'm not sure. But you, like you said, Max, they do, they are missing a lot of chances. Sterling um, in particular has missed quite a few in, in, in games and the Wolves game comes back to mind. But I don't think it's necessarily a case of not putting the chances away uh, when they when they get them. I, I do think that, you know, sometimes you think it, it will even itself out, but I, in this case with Chelsea, I do actually feel they do probably need to dip into the market. Which, Simon, is insanity, right? <laughs> they spent a billion pounds. A billion it's abs- pounds. It's <laughs> absolutely it's so bizarre. And it's so dysfunctional that uh, that they have spent so much and emerged with a, a squad still with with gaps. You know, that that they might consider buying a left-back this, uh, this January when they've previously spent, you know, ludicrous sums on two excellent players who are both currently injured. Yeah, you know, the answer can't always be to throw money at the problem. Now, Nicholas Jackson is a, uh, I mean, he's statistically astonishing striker uh, in that he has great chances and, and misses them with you know, with a regularity that, that can't be explained. But this, this, he's a £32 million player. And uh, to just decide at this point that they need to move on from him and sign someone else for, for a similar sum of money, I don't know. It's, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, I guess it's a way of running a team in a club. It, it is an option, but it just doesn't seem at all rational. They do still own Romelu Lukaku, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure how he's getting on at Roma, but, you know, there's a striker who leaps to mind that they already own. Might be able to do a job for them. Yeah, could do. They will probably go through, as you said. But if they went out over two legs to a mid-table championship side, that feels sort of disaster, crisis, klaxon territory to me. I suppose it is because they're a club that whose fans have grown 
had grown very accustomed to winning silverware, you know, on a regular basis and most seasons the League Cup is the very least they'd expect. And if they go out to Borough, that would not be a great look. I mean, there doesn't seem to, you know, we constantly talk on this podcast about Ericsson Hag and is his position in jeopardy and what's he trying to do and what's his plan and how he's not, doesn't seem to be much of a motivator. I think you could say the same thing against about Potch this season since he's taken the Chelsea job, but we never seem to have that conversation and maybe it's time we did because he does seem to have lost his, his mojo a bit. Um, I suppose we know what he's capable of because he's worked here before and we've seen what he did with Southampton and Spurs, whereas Ten Hag is kind of a, you know, he's come from Ajax, uh, and a league that not many people in in the UK watch, but yeah, what, what is there a huge difference between the crap job Ten Hag is doing at Manchester United and the crap job Pochettino is doing at Chelsea? People constantly point to their need for leaders on the pitch, but they, I think they need a leader on the sideline as well. And he doesn't see; he seems to have lost his mojo. I guess the point there, Jonathan, is time. Right, Ten Hag has just had longer to to sort his you know, to, to get his plan in action. He's had longer, but I do, I do agree with Barry to a degree. I think that put, I think that the situation at Chelsea does in a strange way get not overlooked, but it, I think there's, there's still more leeway. I mean, they've been catastrophically bad for the amount of money they spent. Like, it, I don't think it can state it. It can be overstated really like how, how poor they've been. Um, I was sort of looking at them over the last few seasons and it, it feels like a trick of the mind to see them in, you know, Champions League, quarterfinals and things like that over you know the past two three years even it's, it's not that long ago that Chelsea were regularly getting to cup finals winning cups you know uh, challenging for the Premier League and, and suddenly they just sort of descended into this sort of nothingness despite um, as mentioned all the money they spent so I, I do kind of agree with Barry to be honest in, in that sense I mean when it comes to Pochettino obviously it's still at PSG kind of petered out slightly although he, he was successful in the end winning the title and and everything he didn't, he perhaps didn't quite have the impact that he would have expected to have had. So he is kind of one could argue living a little bit in the stardust of that, that the Spurs spell that he had, that magical time at Spurs, but uh, and obviously the Champions League final. But I think this season, the, the issues with Chelsea aren't necessarily on Pochettino. I feel like he's as frustrated as anyone because he all the things he seems to be hinting at is that I don't have a mature enough squad to do what I want to do. And that goes back to the obviously the transfer policy, and that's kind of what's really just muddled the whole club, really, hasn't it? They they're going for these young talents mainly in principle, um, and a manager like Pochettino, who's come in and is experienced and has been around Europe, wants players who have won things and wants players who have got the experience. So now it's like they're having to have almost a complete transfer reset and going in a different direction again. So I do agree with Barry; he hasn't really had. Um, maybe the scrutiny that someone like Ten Hag has had. But at the same time, I, I don't think the problems uh, at Chelsea are all down to him. Can I just state for the record, Max, that never in the history of this podcast has anyone embarked on a soliloquy in which they said, I agree with Barry to an extent <laughs> on so many different occasions. <laughs> I am simultaneously flattered and insulted. <laughs> Thank you and sorry, Baz. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile at Anfield, uh, Liverpool beat Fulham 2-1. Simon, they probably deserved it, didn't they? I mean, there were there were moments at 1-0 when Fulham were 1-0 up and they could have 
taking advantage was like a final ball or just a misplaced shot. But in the end, you know, Liverpool keep on keeping on. There was that one uh, when they were one nil up when Bobby de Cordova went down the right and had a shot from a ludicrous angle. Everyone was saying that he could have squared it to to give a, a, a teammate a tap in, but actually there were defenders there. I mean, obviously he shouldn't have shot. You never score from that angle. Um, <clears throat> but wasn't the golden opportunity that I think it was it was sold as. Um, and overall, Liverpool probably did deserve to win. They they play such a, a they play a chaotic kind of football, a, a high speed, you know, wild, crazy game, and. It's just so hard to be good and quick. Uh, and they were really struggling for a long time to find people. Uh, obviously, they, Salah is, is away at the Af- African Cup of Nations and he's the master at that. But to find people who could bring decisive quality uh, in key locations at ridiculous harebrained pace. Joss had played really well uh, and has remarkable energy. And he was the guy who set up the equaliser by, you know, chasing, hurrying, winning the ball, winning it again, winning it a third time. He was the guy, you know, the last kick of the game, he ran 30 yards to win a throw-in. His energy was uh, extraordinary, and also his quality, his first touch, excellent. For for a long time, all they brought was, was speed and chaos, and not enough quality. I mean, I agree with you. I had written, it feels like Jota was the guy who brought the energy. And he's an interesting player, Barry, and isn't, isn't he? And that he, he sort of doesn't, he doesn't set the pulses racing. There's a, there's a sort of Gund, Ilkay Gundogan-ness about him where he's clearly brilliant, but you're not going to get out of bed in the middle of the night to watch some Diogo Jota highlights, are you? I'll be honest, Max, I don't think there's a player on the planet that would get me out of bed in the middle of the night to, to watch no, a highlight. As I was saying it, I as I was saying it, I realised same goes for me. But I mean I'm I'm over fifty and I can still get through most nights without having to go for a pee. I'm certainly wow, not getting that's up absolutely insane. Certainly not getting up to watch a a, a Diogo Jota Shory. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I, I mean, you get players like that in a lot of teams. They they do hard work very well. They're they're pivotal, crucial squad mem or team members, but they they don't get the glory. And I suppose in a team which, as Simon says, is, is as occasionally chaotic as Liverpool, it's you know Darwin Nunes is going to to catch the eye with his um, cartwheeling around. Uh, I mean, Fulham have a player in Polina who's who's much the same, I suppose. And we all remember how delighted Archie was when his move to, to Bayern Munich collapsed at the last minute during the summer. Archie had to, was it driving and pulled over to the side of the road because he, he was so overwhelmed with joy. He thought he might cause an accident. But yeah, I, I thought Fulham were in danger of being overwhelmed in the second half of that game. And I think they did pretty well to keep the score at 2-1, give themselves a chance at Craven Cottage. Uh, Jonathan, are Liverpool stealthily on their way to a, a quadruple? <sighs> Don't know about a quadruple, but they, they certainly are probably going to win two trophies, maybe, you'd think. Um, they should win this tournament, let's put it that way. I mean, as I said, a mid-table Chelsea side, 10th in the league, uh, a championship team and a Fulham side who are sort of plucky, but... L- 
you know, Liverpool are going to be massive favourites to win this tournament, aren't they? Minimum. I thought that Fulham, having said that, I thought Fulham had great chances and really should have been 3 0 up. Uh, beginning of the second half, first 15 minutes after this, you know, it's half time. I mean, Decordova Reed had two amazing chances on the counter attack. Willian was, was really, really good, created really well. It's amazing to think Willian's still 35, the way he sort of glides past players at times. But yeah, Decordova Reed had a really good chance where he, he, he took a shot instead of squaring it for a tap in. Um, there was another counter attack with Raul Jimenez involved where they, they, they could have gone 2 0 up. So I felt the, like the, the win was inevitable. You, you just, as, the longer it's 1 0, you felt more and more like Liverpool were going to maybe get back into it. But that, that 10, 15 minute period, uh, Fulham should have gone to definitely 2 0 up and maybe even 3 0 up. And I think that would have made it a tough, a really tough second leg for Liverpool. There's the stat, isn't there? I think from Otto who said that, uh, Liverpool's have had the most goal involvements by substitutes of any team in the league. I think 30 goal involvements, um, which is 12 more than any other team in the league. And I suppose ultimately it, you get what you pay for. You, you, you know, Darwin Nunes is the 30th most expensive transfer in the history of football. And that's if you don't even include his bonuses. Um, and Decord Overy cost 10 million. And so if you're able to bring on players like Jota, who cost 40 million, you're starting Luis Diaz, who cost 40 million, you're bringing on Nunes, um, and Fulham having to rely on a 35-year-old Willian and, 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 and a 10 million deck on over real, I guess um, you get what you pay for. Does he have a chaos bonus, Nunes, <laughs> do you think? Um, and I don't know, who do we believe, Barry? Simon says... He Decotover Reed couldn't have squared it for a tap in. Jonathan says he could have squared it for a tap in. You have the casting vote. Could Bobby Decotover Reed have squared it for a tap in? Because I can't remember. That's what I was about to raise. To this um... this huge rift in Football <laughs> Weekly. Yeah, the Burton Faduba rift. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm with Jonathan. I I think if he the right pass, it was a tap in. But um, wow. Yeah, I I there did raise an eyebrow when when Simon said it wasn't as straightforward as I'm going to have to go and look at it again. I'll I'll wait till tonight till I'm asleep. I'll set my alarm <laughs> and then I will get out of bed and go down and watch a replay of <laughs> Bobby Deffcourt over Reed failing to square the ball for uh, who's Andreas Pereira. And I, I I and then I'll ring you Max and let you know what my my findings. <laughs> Please do. Yes, Simon, you, you're allowed to say on this. Uh, well, no, I've had my say on this. Um, there was just a, a Raul Jimenez Rabona cross in the oh, second Oh, it was half. good. What a phenomenal. Do the thing is, he did uh, he did Rabona one into the top corner in the warm-up because I saw Sky had tweeted out, look at this Jimenez Rabona. So clearly he thought he was in the zone. He was at lamella levels of Rabonaing it. And then he tried one when he really could have just put it in with his left foot, couldn't he? Yeah, I think... Firstly, I think the one in the warm-up, uh, while impressive, just missed the target. Uh, oh, and okay. then the cross, yeah, I mean, if you can... Uh, he had space on the left wing. He could have crossed with his left foot. He could have cut onto his right. He went for the Rabona. Uh, it was... I mean, he absolutely gorgeously missed hit out of play. I, I, I do love a good Rabona, but I really love a terrible Rabona. <laughs> just because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they shouldn't happen. A player just shouldn't... Like, it's the kind of skill that you can only attempt if you're damn sure you're going to nail it. I think David Dunn cornered the market in bad Rabonas, didn't he? Yeah. Was it Jimenez who did a Rabona tackle at the weekend? Didn't somebody? I can't remember. I'm sure I mentioned it. Like, someone was going in to do a Rabona and then realised that actually there was a player 
who was going to get the ball. So then he had to Rabona. It was Jimenez. Yeah, he's obsessed. <laughs> the man's obsessed. Somebody stop him. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, we'll do a Premier League preview. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten. Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, worth saying that in the break, Jonathan wanted to bring up that Curtis Jones did play well. And I said we didn't have time to mention it, but there we are. We've done him his... That's not what you said, Max. You said you couldn't be bothered. <laughs> well, we were... That they were literally your words. <laughs> yeah. I can't be bothered. Well, once you've done a part, it feels like it's done, right? We, you know, you had your chance, Jonathan. You were too concerned trying to bury Simon Burnton with his Bobby Decker-Dameride <laughs> nonsense <laughs> when you had the opportunity to, to say how good how well Curtis Jones played and now no one will ever know Apologies. what you thought Apologies, of Curtis Jones, <laughs> Curtis Jones performance Fraser says is Barry looking forward to the return of the Barclays at the weekend or will the excitement be diluted by the staggering of the fixtures Jim says do we like half and half mid-season break or should all the teams have the same weekend off and let some focus go on the EFL non-league or women's FA Cup fourth round what do you reckon Baz I hadn't really thought of it um I would have no strenuous objections to everyone having a fortnight off. It means we've less stuff to talk about, I suppose. But um, yeah, I guess it would. But would people focus on the EFL and, and the Women's FA Cup? I think people who focus on the EFL and Women's FA Cup are going to focus on it anyway. It's a good point. People would just complain like it was an international break, but without the internationals. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which, again, I think a lot of people would prefer if international breaks didn't have internationals i like internationals but um many people don't but anyway yes we we have five games we do and there's yeah great great let's reduce the premier league 10 <laughs> teams and, and then just have five games every week um burnley luton simon this is a six pointer isn't it you fancy luton it's just amazing having watched them both reasonably closely last season that we're here in January with Luton four points above Burnley with a game in hand, when 12 months ago Burnley was 17 points above Luton in the Championship. They were teams on operating on, on two completely different planes. Um, and now you know, Luton are in s- some measure of form. Uh, they've scored, they've started to score quite regularly. That's, that, that's what seems to have clicked with them. I think they've scored 11 goals in the last six games, which is... Uh, which only a few teams, only Spurs, Man City, Bournemouth, Fulham, I think, have scored more than that. Uh, and, you know, if you don't score, you don't win. Uh, at the moment, they look the stronger, more organised team. Do you suspect, I mean, the, 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 you're right, Simon. And the question that is always laid at, at, at Vincent Company now, Jonathan, is when will he compromise? When will he change his philosophy? And I quite like the fact that, he isn't really. I mean, I have seen Burnley be quite direct at times. It's not like every little thing is tick attacker with them, but I sort of admire him for doing that. And if it's a plan that takes them down and takes them back up again, then that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I found the Spurs-Burnley game hilarious, to be honest, the, the FA Cup game. I think it was the goalkeeper, Arjun Ar- 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 Muric, 
relentless dedication to passing it out from the back when it was so obviously not the thing to do. Just, <laughs> I found it, I found it comical actually. It got to the point where it was just, and then obviously nearly scored, didn't he? Um, at the end of the match, but Burnley's home record is is really really worrying, isn't it? The fact that they've lost nine of their ten Premier League home games this season. Um, I think they're the first team in English top flight history, let alone Premier League history, to do that, which is incredible, really, when you think about it. So it doesn't really bode well for them um, against the Luton side, who are sort of gradually showing signs, I'd say. I wouldn't say they look like they're going to get out of it necessarily, but they're, they're showing signs of life. And I think people wrote them off completely, didn't they, at the start of the season. So that's that's a positive for them. And obviously, if, they, if Luton win this game, they, they're out of the relegation zone. So from their, their point of view, I think psychologically, it's a massive game if they were to be able to get three points against the team that they probably should fancy themselves to get something from. This is um, free-scoring free Luton, Max, who you famously declared would go the whole season without getting a single <laughs> goal, wasn't it? I, no, no, no. No, a, no, a single I, point, no, sorry. I No, no, I said at some point during the season, if they were on naught points, eventually it would be amusing for Luton fans because at some point you'd be like, well, let's just get naught points. But at no point did I say they would get no points or that I would like them to, I'd like to state. Again, for the record. Uh, I, I would have thought um, this was the easiest fixture of the weekend to predict insofar as I thought Luton would win quite comfortably but uh, Issa Kabora I think has gone to AFCON they're missing Tom Lockyer obviously marvellous Nakamba's out Carlton Morris I think is out as well so they're quite quite a number of key personnel they're missing but um, so that may well have an adverse effect on their performance they weren't very good against Bolton in the FA Cup but I suppose we can give them a pass for that one but um, yeah those injuries aside I would have thought I think you know Luton would win we should mention the the Football Sports Association uh, were were rightly unhappy about the move of that fixture the Burnley Luton fixture um, which when the TV fixtures were announced in October it was due to be played on Monday unless either of the teams was involved in an FA Cup replay in which case it would be moved to Friday unless Burnley was involved, was still involved in the uh, Carabao Cup, in which case it would be played on Sunday. <laughs> Can you get a train ticket for that? Can you get a train ticket and say, put all that, punch all that into the machine and see what comes out? <laughs> Remarkable level of complication. So the moment the final whistle blew on uh, Luton's FA Cup draw against Bolton at the weekend, this game suddenly switched from Monday to Friday. Uh, it's quite a long distance between Luton and Burnley. It's not not really straightforward for fans to get there. Uh, and I think the FSA uh, have every right to be knocked. I agree with you. Um, Everton Villa, uh, Baz, Everton had, have lost three, their last three, after that brilliant spell where we all said, oh, they'll be fine. And now they're only one point ahead of Luton. So could, you know, the results don't go their way. They will be in the bottom three. Yeah, it is. it, it just shows, I suppose, how knee-jerky we are and you know we weren't alone in saying ah yeah they'll be fine because they strung a few wins together Villa on the road are up and down you don't really know what you're going to get and I'd still expect them to win this game uh Dominic Calvert-Loon's red card I think has been overturned so he'll he'll be available uh Everton never lost to Drissa Gay to, to AFCON and they need, they need to start picking up points again so we can we can all go, ah, they'll be fine. 
I think it's a combination of their poor results and and other teams like you know Bournemouth hitting their stride. I don't think anyone, everyone had written Bournemouth, or well, a lot of people had written Bournemouth off, but now they're the ah, they'll be fine team, and and I think they will be fine. But um, yeah, Everton are are circling the plug hole once again. At some stage, they will go down the drain. Yeah, Big Sir Jim Ratcliffe will be in attendance at Old Trafford, Jonathan, for the visit of Tottenham. Do we expect a a Ratcliffe bounce? Hmm, I'm going to say no. I don't think there'll be a Ratcliffe bounce. It might be exciting. There'll be a lot of Ratcliffe photos, I imagine. I guess cutaways will be lots of cutaways to him. Yes, cameras will be there cutting away to him. But um, along with obviously today, Brailsford, I imagine should be there. I don't think it will change a huge amount. Um, I thought the Wigan game. Even in even in that game, I thought in the first half Wigan hit Manchester United on in transitions quite often actually. And in the early stages of the game, Anana made a brilliant save where they could have they could have gone one 0 down, and you know maybe it might have been a different outcome. I know that in the end United were miles better and kind of asserted their dominance, but again that's a League One team. So I think it's going to be a really exciting match. I think Spurs are going to come into it flying the two new signings that they're on the verge of or have announced Werner obviously and Dragozin going to give a bit of a boost to the squad um, and just the whole general morale. I think I think Spurs fans are quite quite happy at the moment, aren't they, Max? Like, it feels like life is rosy for Spurs right now. And I think they'll take that kind of um, positive momentum into the game and, and probably have a go, as Ange, Ange would like to say. Yeah, I mean, I think it's most Spurs fans are just amazed they've done a transfer, not at the start of the transfer window, but just not in the last hour, not waited until the last hour to do their business. Nick says, is Ange's pull for Tottenham bigger than any other clubs? When will Spurs sign Mbappe? Neil, are you regretting being so conservative in your prediction for Spurs' finishing position? Uh, yeah, it's interesting, that that Dragusin uh, uh, signing, Simon, of which I, I don't know a lot about this man. I've seen two highlights videos, one of him looking really good and one of him looking terrible, depending on who cut them up. And uh, but But for him to choose Tottenham over Bayern Munich, even if... Tottenham had sort of got in there first and, you know, given him a nice fluffy pillow and said, here are your personal terms. It's still quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, it is quite interesting. And uh, it was interesting. I read quotes from his agent who seemed as astonished as anyone else. <laughs> yes, it's uh, great, at aren't they? <laughs> turn of events. Yeah, I mean, Bayern Munich, you would imagine, would be uh, a greater pull. But he, the players see himself being in the, in the Tottenham first team. And playing in the Premier League, and you know that you imagine that that should be the ambition of of any player to be playing first team football in a major league, uh, rather than being in and around one of the great clubs in the world. Uh, so I, I understand the logic, but I I really like that that like they must have just sat there. They make a decision. They can't believe themselves the decision they've just made. They don't really understand it. They're just going with it and hoping for the best. Yeah, his agent said, um, we can't believe we turned down Bayern. Radu, who'd given his words to Spurs, chose to respect this. We're, we're all still a bit mind-blown. Um, <laughs> yes, Jonathan? Well, A, he sounds he sounds low-key gutted, doesn't he? He sounds a bit, bit upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but looking actually looking at the table for this game, it, it's probably a bigger game than we, we kind of think because I think if United lose this game, they're going to be 11 points behind Spurs. So that that would be, in terms of the top four race, pretty much maybe United's top four chances gone, you'd think, with sort of City, Arsenal, Villa, 
Villa may be the only ones you might think they could catch if they had a terrible run, but and, and obviously Liverpool in there. So I think for United, it is a really must-not-lose game anyway. So from that point of view as well, is it probably going to be an exciting one? I do think United really have to get results. Obviously, Timo Werner's hat-trick uh, should separate these two sides. Convinced the bucket loads are going to start. I mean, Eric Dyer could be uh, on his way to Bayern, and I really hope he goes and wins something. I think that would just be... A, a wonderful thing for him to do. Look, Eric Dyer hasn't flopped at Spurs. He just he's too slow for the style of play that Ange Postecoglou wants to play. But he's a good pro. He seems like a cracking fella, and good luck to him. I, I, do you think um, Dragazan and Werner will go straight into the side? I, I don't know. I mean, I actually think with Tottenham's best side, I think you'd have Romero and Van der Ven as your centre-backs. So I actually don't think he walks in. I don't think... I mean, he probably sees himself as a, you know, as a player who would start. Yeah. Well, Romero is fit again. I don't know. Yeah, I think Van der Ven is fit. I didn't know Romero was fit. But uh, interesting. I suspect Werner will start on the bench. One thing about the Dragazin signing, I would like to give a shout-out to Sky Sports reporter Gary Cotterill, who... Now, it was bitterly cold in London at the moment. It's really bitterly cold. And poor Gary had to spend all day yesterday standing outside the Spurs training ground, just <laughs> reporting on a black people carrier arriving from Stansted Airport, containing Radu Dragzen and his gobsmacked agent, <laughs> <laughs> arriving at, at the, the training ground and then the security man coming out of his hut, uh, looking in the back door. It had blacked out windows. Gary kept reminding us, you know, this this is a super important side. They've got tinted windows in the people carrier. The security guard peeps in the back door. Then the driver sort of lowers the window, has a word with him, and in they go. And I don't know if anyone has been to the Spurs training ground, but if you're a report, if you're standing outside it, all day in the cold. You're basically just standing on a, a grass verge on the side of a country lane. And normally you would have for company some um, South Korean football fans who congregate in the hope of getting a, a shirt signed by or a photo with uh, Hyung Min Son. But as he's not there at the moment, poor old Gary will be all on his own. You know what to talk to. <laughs> Uh, Newcastle play Manchester City. Uh, Simon, do you expect uh, City to sort of keep marching on as they had done since they came back from becoming the world champion? Yeah, I guess I do. Uh, and Newcastle's record against Manchester City is really astonishing, uh, astonishingly and inexplicably abysmal. Um, I think they've won just one of their last 32 league games against them, which, I mean, there's no sense in that. Obviously, it has no bearing on this weekend's game. Uh, but uh, at City are obviously a more convincing team currently and you'd expect them to beat most opponents and uh, I don't think Newcastle are an exception to that. Newcastle's record is really bad and Eddie Howe's record against Man City is diabolical as well because when he was manager of Bournemouth, Pep used to always talk him up before games and that's always a sign like that. You know, Pep has no regard for him whatsoever and my team is about to spank you 6-0, which is invariably what would happen. Before we end part two, some really sad news that uh, um, we just heard about Sven-Jöran Eriksson. He's uh, told a Swedish radio station that he has a, a best uh, a year to live. Uh, here's what he says. Everyone understands that I have an illness that is not good. Everyone guesses it's cancer and it is. 
but I have to fight as long as I can. Uh, when asked about the condition, uh, he said he has maybe at best a year, at worst less, or in the best case, I suppose, even longer. I don't think doctors um, can be totally sure. They can't put a day on it. It's better not to think about it. You have to trick your brain. I could go around thinking about that all the time and sit at home and be miserable and think I'm unlucky and so on. It's easy to end up in that position, but no, see the positive side of things. Don't bury yourself in setbacks because this is the biggest setback of them all, of course. We, of course, uh, wish him uh, all the best and that'll do for part two. We'll be back in a second. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten. Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Not far away from Jonathan's idea that we mentioned uh, in the intro. And Jonathan mentioned in the WhatsApp group and then regretted mentioning in the WhatsApp group. Before that, Real Madrid beat Atleti 5-3 uh, in the Spanish Super Cup, which is it in Saudi Arabia? I bet it is. Yes. Um, yes, it is. Uh, Barcelona play Osasuna this evening. Highlight, Barry, was probably Kepa's own goal. I think he punched it into his own foot and then lobbed it back over his head. I had to watch it a number of, I had to watch it a number of times before, before I could be, I, I'm still not totally sure. It looked very much like he punched it into a defender, but actually he punches it and then he lobs himself. It, it looked like if he tried to do it, it would have been impossible. Um, I say that's the highlight. I haven't seen any of the other goals. There could have been seven absolutely extraordinary goals, but I can't report on them. Uh, I suspect Sidlow's excellent Spanish football podcast would be a good place to go for them. What about Watford Corner, Simon? Tenth, four points off the playoffs. I stared at your manager for ages, not working out who it was when you played Chesterfield and then finally got it. It's a fun game to play, actually, as to who is this man I'm staring at. But how is Valerian Ishmael? I really hope it is him. <laughs> how is he doing? It is him, and he's actually doing surprisingly well. He arrived with a reputation of, certainly from his two uh, previous appointments in English football, as a bit of a, a long ball route one merchant, and that's not been the way we've played at all. <clears throat> he seems to be he's quite a physically imposing man he seems to have a kind of intensity to him which uh, I guess I I like to see in people who are supposed to be leaders uh, he has imposed uh, discipline that wasn't there before not, not just kind of tactical but in terms of getting players to turn up to training on time uh, to you know turn up for coaches and buses and meetings on time uh, and he has the team playing, I mean, it's not fantastic football, but it, it is it, it is football that, that makes sense, that there is an idea of how we're going to move a ball from back to front and how we might create a chance or a goal. And uh, and, and this seems basic. It feels like the bar you're setting is incredibly low. Well, <laughs> Get it, it may, turn up on it, time. <laughs> it, it may feel basic, but this is a bar that Watford have not been meeting at all like for years now uh you know we beat chesterfield on saturday only just a a, a goal late in stoppage time and chesterfield were superb by the way like really properly uh organized quality physically imposing like good in 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 every way football team uh, and they 
will surely get promoted this season. We beat them on, on Saturday, and that was our first win in the FA Cup since the 2019 FA Cup semi-final, uh, which is illustrative of something. Like, we've just been... And all those defeats, except for against Man City in the in the final in 2019, which was against the run of play, um, all those defeats were against lower league teams. We've, we've just been a bit of a disorganised rabble for some time, and now we kind of vaguely make sense. And that, you know, that'll do. Jonathan, you put something in the WhatsApp group that simultaneously sounded very interesting and not very interesting. Uh, so, 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 what was it? It, it was like Bobby Corridor Reed's uh, shot instead of crossing. It it divided opinion. Was it interesting or was it not interesting? Yeah. So anyway, well, I suppose I think I mentioned at the start of the season that I'm uh, I'm currently doing an MBA uh, in football industry at University of Liverpool, mm-hmm. and part of the um, part of the well, I have an assignment due tomorrow, essentially, Max, in which I have to compile a report on the player labor the economics of the players labor market and so when in this whatsapp group the question came about of is there anything else we could talk about to fill our time for some stupid reason i mentioned that i'm writing this and it could be interesting uh to look at so essentially let me try and sell this to you. I'm, I've basically spent the last few days. You've, you've lost all confidence in it. <laughs> that is, lost all confidence. You do anything with conviction, people will go with you. Like, I believe in you. Well, the link was that the Jaden Sancho deal. So obviously, basically what I've been doing is I've spent the last few days looking at the top 25 transfers in the history of world football and trying to answer the question, mm. how do you determine what is a successful transfer? And there's a piece of research from the former head of research at Liverpool uh, called Dr. Ian Graham. He was part of the team with Michael Edwards, the sporting director, who the famous part of Liverpool who, you know, went in there, introduced analytics, revolutionised the club and won pretty much every trophy going. And their argument is that uh, most transfers, more than 50% of transfers are unsuccessful. Um, so I'm looking at every transfer, every most the most expensive 25 transfers in the history of football. Uh, I've just posted it there so you can have a little look. But basically... Uh, that was where I wanted to go with it. So the reason I mentioned it is obviously because of Jaden Sancho um, and the lack of minutes. Now, the argument is a successful transfer is someone who plays more than 50% of the team's minutes. Right. That can be determined as success. God, that's it. So not, not, not done it well, but just done it. Exactly. Because if you, if you wow. look at it, a lot of players don't actually make it to 50% of minutes, let alone be good. So if you look at the top 25 hit transfers in the history of football... Um, at the moment, for example, Neymar is the most expensive transfer in the history of football, 222 million euros. He ended up playing 50.4% of PSG's minutes um, due to obviously illness, injury and things like that. Well, I was just going to say, just glancing at this list and uh, let's look at Moise Caicedo uh, at number nine, 116 million euros from Brighton to Chelsea. Now, he seems to be playing quite often. I would say he's not playing well and hasn't really got going at Chelsea at all. I know it's very early. He's only been there a wet weekend. But So what what would be the sort of deciding factor there? I think in his case, it's probably uh, what economists would refer to as a small sample size. He's not, he's not been there very long. And so it's probably hard to answer. I mean, um, Declan Rice is in there and that's that's an interesting one because he's played... Um, Barry, he's played in 88.8% of Arsenal's minutes so far. He's played 2,398 minutes of a possible 2,700 minutes for Arsenal, 29 out of 30 of their games. 
Um, and in terms of the actual the hypothesis, he counts as a really successful successful signing. But of course, that's not very um, it's early days. Um, Sancho is an interesting one because of the twelve thousand six hundred and sixty minutes at Manchester United, he's played in thirty nine percent of those minutes. This season, he's played seventy six minutes of a possible two thousand six hundred and ten. So it, it shows you essentially that although we often like to look at transfers as like do they score a lot of goals? Did the team win a lot of trophies? Um, in terms of when you look at transfers in general, most of them, more than around 50% of them fail. And so just using the top, I, I decided to use the, you know, the most expensive transfers just to, give an, just to get an example because you would assume the highest paid players in the history of football or the highest paid transfers would be the most successful players. Um, but even looking at this list, I mean, uh, Barry just mentioned some of them. You've got Neymar, Mbappe, Coutinho, Jao Felix and Enzo Fernandez, the top five. And, you know, Coutinho has played less than 50% of the minutes uh, at Barcelona available when he, after his transfer, he played 28% of all available minutes. Yeah, he's a disaster. Coutinho's yeah. a disaster. Felix didn't work. Enzo, probably too early to say. Griezmann to Barcelona didn't work, did it, really? And that's the thing. I mean, that, that's why when you look at someone like yeah. um, Kylian Mbappe, who so far has played 75% of all minutes for PSG... Regardless of whether you think that's uh, he's done well or badly, uh, it's a successful transfer because just he's, he's shown up for three quarters of their matches, and that that it's the Valerian Ishmael <laughs> thing, isn't it? He's turned up on time. But the thing about Sancho as well, like his his timekeeping appears to be a, a huge problem. He needs to go and play for Valerian Ishmael, um, but and his attitude has been called into question because he's obviously had this very public falling out with. Eric Ten Hag, I don't know the nitty gritty of it, but it's it's arguable that because of his poor attitude, he has missed out on a hell of a lot of minutes. Because if he's as good as they say, then he would be walking into that Manchester United team all the time. Yeah, I saw an interesting clip of Ange actually, who obviously I'm completely brainwashed and think is the greatest man on earth. But he was he was saying he didn't think that there was actually a massive gap between the absolute elite, you know, these guys that are going to cost you 100 million and guys that are going to cost you 50, 40, 30 million. But, you know, but so if you look at the character of somebody, and obviously that should come into your, that doesn't come into every single recruitment. I mean, it should, clearly, if you're spending that much money on something or someone or anything. But like, he would rather a player who wasn't quite as good but would definitely be there on time and, you know, do all the sensible things because, you know, one one person in the dressing room can sort of change the dynamic. And I guess there are those clubs right at the top, those biggest clubs who sort of have to spend that much money or will or there will be a premium if they sign anyone. Simon, did you want to chip in on this or are you happy listening along? There are reasons for signing a player other than uh, and ways that a player can be a success other than contribution on the pitch. Uh, that, you know, if a player uh, improves the, the club's kind of commercial standings, their ability to negotiate sponsorships, the, the number of shirts they sell, if a player uh, kind of assuages dissatisfaction among the fan base by, you know, if, if an owner splashes some cash on a player and changes the mood around the team, the mood around the club, there, there are any number of ways uh, which you might choose to, to judge the success of a transfer. Uh, there will be some that have been successes on multiple metrics, despite the player not playing very well or very often. You'll have to put a Simon Burnton caveat 
uh, Jonathan, in your <laughs> no, but that that I mean that's totally I completely agree, and that's that's the point really. It's it's that so I kind of posted about Neymar in the sense that he he's played fifty percent of PSG's minutes uh, while he was there. He won loads of trophies. I think they won thirteen trophies, um, and obviously commercially from PSG's point of view, you could argue he elevated them to a new level of of, of at least profile, if not success. It depends how you want to look at it with the Champions League. He didn't personally win the Ballon d'Or, but the fact that he's played exactly 50% of their minutes, more or less, is he a successful transfer or a not successful transfer? Because I think a lot of people feel maybe it wasn't a successful transfer. But from PSG's yeah, point of view, you could, yeah. you could argue. So it, it, it kind of, what do you look for in a transfer? And that goes back to Simon's point as well, which I, I agree with. So, yeah, that's been my week. There, there are a lot of unquantifiable. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So that, that's been my fun week, basically. But I think the, the bottom line is, it's if you look at players as economic units of labour, in productivity terms, in terms of like what a unit of labour is, it's just basically this assignment is to look at like how a unit of labour, how we assess productivity in football. So, yeah, partly boring, but also partly quite interesting in a, in a weird way. But um, no, I thought it was interesting. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, uh, and you, you're going to have to let us know if you get a goal star yeah, or not. Yeah, a smiley face uh, or a lot of red pen. Uh, Mark says, having just listened to today's pod during discussions of Franz Beckenbauer, you discussed how in a superstar 11, he would be the only defender. Was Bobby Moore not rated that highly? As I assumed he would be there. Yes, we we probably... Johnny as well saying, your team sheet of all-time defenders is simply Beckenbauer. Would Bobby Moore not get a spot? Maldini, Baresi, uh, three-time World Cup finalist, Cafu. Their Kaiser was incredible, but not head and shoulders above all others. This is a, a good point. Der Kaiser actually, he always thought that Bobby Moore should have been England manager and was baffled that the FA never gave him a, a gig as England manager, but apparently the FA weren't that keen on him for some reason or other, the stuffed shirts in FA HQ. Yeah, uh, on Beckenbauer accidentally becoming a phone sex line, uh, AMR says, surely Franz with benefits was a missed opportunity during Archie's anecdote. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Nick says, after waiting since 2017 for Wigan to get a mention on the pod, it was hilarious to hear you ask a question about Monday's game and the debate immediately turned to Baz watching Prime Suspect. Even Lars Sivertson, who watches Alaskan Division 3, didn't see the game. Anti-Wigan bias in action. It, sorry, Max, just a uh, correction. It was Silent Witness yes, watched. Yes, yes. And it is uh, Wigan's fault because... If they had not conceded that goal, I would have continued watching. So Noted. And I'd, uh, would have had more to say about it. Chris says, uh, this last week I've been listening to the pod to keep me awake while my newborn sleeps on me. He still doesn't have a name. Thoughts? Here we go. Let's name a small child. Uh, I, I presume, Barry, you get the honours with this. unless uh, uh... Uh, Barry Glendening. That's what I'd call him. Well, I mean, I think uh, this podcast has mainly been around Bobby Dick Dover Reed, so... Uh, Bobby, that's, you know, Bob is a good name for a baby. I'd really be happy, Bob, Chris, if you said, here's my baby, Bob, uh, named after the, the huge rift that, 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 that stemmed from uh, uh, Simon and Jonathan disagreeing on where Bobby Decker Reed should have put that ball or how easy it was. So uh, if you could go with Bobby, we would appreciate it greatly. And do let us know how you get on in the naming ceremony. Uh, if you have such a thing, if such a thing exists. Uh, and that'll do for today. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. And again, sorry for uh, boring everyone. No, no, no. Oh, it was I, good. I quite enjoyed Stick it. Stick to your and guns. Mine was one of the voices of dissent <laughs> originally. And I, I thought we got good mileage out of it. Yeah. Cheers, Simon. Thank you. 
Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. 